Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we have the Deputy Commissioner of the National Basketball Association, Mark Tatum. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi williams And let's start with Fox said to pursue Thursday night NFL games. What about all of this? Well, if anybody knows the power of the NFL, it's Fox. When it was a fledgling network known for the Simpsons, the NFL really pushed everybody to that network and, and kind of discovered what was going on there in the programming. I think it was the Simpson and like Tracy Ullman. <laughs> it was, so Fox certainly knows the power. They've been showing the NFL for a while now. It's a question of how much do all of these entities value Thursday night? Seems as if CBS and NBC are saying, we like it, we just don't want to pay as much for it. Fox, we're told, was very aggressive in the bidding, and this is not just to put games on FS1, it could also be on the mothership, Fox, coming out and making a statement after the Disney deal. This may also be kind of the first time that we will see TV networks, Fox, ABC, competing evenly alongside digital companies like maybe Facebook and, and maybe Amazon. We've seen the NFL in the past couple years give this Thursday night package to Twitter on a heavy discount. Amazon had it last season at another discount, not as heavy. Uh, this may actually be the first time where they're level playing field. Uh, money is even across, and, and the highest bidder might win. ABC in the mix also. They probably want to bring in the ESPN crew, which they're going to have a problem because they got to fill John Gruden's slot. Yeah, the, the bigger point, though, Michael, is the the storyline this year for the NFL, particularly as it relates to TV, has been trouble, trouble, trouble. Ratings down, down, down. Right. But what matters most here? Dollars and cents. And while ratings may be down, these these numbers are all going up. So there is still <laughs> tremendous value in NFL programs. And that's because advertising is going up. The NFL made more in advertising this year than they have you know, in sponsors and advertising than they have any other year in the past. So even though viewers may be turning off at, at a 5% clip or 5 7% clip, uh, the money is still flowing into the NFL. Well, let's talk about the next story. Just like the Yes Network in New York, the Chicago Cubs could start their own media network. What took them so long, Ben? <laughs> That's what I ask. What took them so long? This is must-see programming in the Midwest, particularly in Chicago. This isn't new, but uh, I know they had a, a contract. That's why it ends. No surprise that a, an owner like the Ricketts family, with content like the Cubs as an anchor, would at least explore owning something of their own. I love this comment in, in the Chicago Tribune from, from Crane Kenny, the Cubs president of business operations. He said, it's a great time to be us. And that's exactly what this is for the Cubs, a team that was famous for being losers for a century that is now one of the best teams in, in baseball. Uh, they've won a World Series. The future certainly looks bright. This is the right time to, to, to maybe head off on their own to break away from the Chicago RSN and, and start their own. And the kind of thing that you look at what Yes Network did for the Yankees, uh, this could bring a lot more money into the club and could have them competing salary-wise with those teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees. Just look at the big markets. You had Yes, you have SNY with the Mets, you've got Sportsnet LA with the Dodgers with some carriage issues we know, but why rent it out when you can own it yourself? That's the point. And you talked about the contracts expiring with the local affiliates. That contract expires after the 2019 season. This next story 
really is going to put the Olympics on the map. And I know that sounds like, well, thanks, Mike. But if this happens, the Koreas, North and South Korea, will march together under one flag at the Olympic ceremony. When we've had our internal discussions about how are we covering the games and what are we looking at, so much of it has been geopolitical. So little of it has been, show me some scores, show me who wins, who loses. This is a geopolitical event. Not only are they marching, but the hockey team, and I know Eben loves this one. I've been saying, wait a minute, why can't the U.S. and Canada play together? They're two different countries. <laughs> but the women's hockey is going to be a combined North and South Korea team. Perhaps that Olympic ideal, which I am a bit skeptical of from, from uh, this perspective. Perhaps we're seeing some of it now. This is exactly what the, the IOC wants to see, you know, and it's exactly what FIFA wants when they host the World Cup. They want an event that is going to transcend borders, that is going to be something bigger than sport. And when the World Cup was in South Africa, the big talking point was that we're going to bring, we're going to use sport, uh, bring it into an area that doesn't host events like this before, and maybe do something bigger than the actual games itself. Uh, and this is the goal, obviously, with what is a symbolic but maybe a first step in improving relations between two countries that are that are not very comfortable right now. Mark Tatum, our guest, will certainly talk about sport as a vehicle for social change, something David Stern said decades ago. You've got to go back around 40 years to get something like the USA-Russia conflict for this to make the map like this. Evan I mean, this wasn't alive 40 years ago, know, Michael Barr. I know. I know. I won't mention Olga Corbett. Anyway... Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Noby-Williams. Now for our interview with the Deputy Commissioner of the National Basketball Association, Mark Tatum. Mark Tatum, a longtime friend, and he is the Deputy Commissioner of the NBA. He's been there almost two decades. And we want to start with what's been going on in the NBA off the court. You have players seeking out other players in the locker room for fights. You've had on-court altercations. Mark, does the NBA look at this as not only a behavior issue, but also a business issue? Well, look, certainly um, our players are uh, representatives of the league. And the, what the fans want to see is the fans want to see our players compete. And they want to see them competing on the court, and that's what they care about. And, you know, the, the intensity of the season um, is and the competitiveness of these players, I think, really brings out that fire and that energy. Um, and that's what you're seeing, I think, is, you know, just uh, – People competing, players wanting to win, players being very, very emotional. It's it's a it's a competitive league. The league is, I think, the the level of competition is the best that it's ever been. Um, the amount of talent in our league and the stakes of winning and losing are are greater than they've ever been. And so, you know that, in, that you want to see that intensity, you want to see that passion, uh, you want to see it exhibited on the court, which I think we are seeing uh, that in spades. And at the end of the day. I do think that we have to always be um, conscious, and I think our players are very conscious, too, of their role representing this league, representing themselves and their clubs um, and the fans. And so, uh, yes, those are things that we all uh, look at, um, but I would say that, uh, you know, on the other side of that, like, you, you want these players to be, uh, and they are, uh, passionate about winning and passionate about competing. Where have you been the last six weeks, by the way? Tell me your travel schedule. Give me the cities. I love this. I love playing this game with you. Where have you been the last six, eight weeks? 
It's it's been crazy. I've been to Mexico City um, for our two games there in December uh, between Brooklyn and Miami and Brooklyn and OKC. It was two regular season games. Amazing response. Sold out games. Um, you know, in Mexico City, and that's a, a market that we're spending a lot more time taking a look at and, and investigating even the possibility of a G League uh, franchise down there. Um, I've been to China uh, and checked in with our uh, NBA China team in Beijing. I was in London last week, uh, where, again, we had another regular season game between the Sixers and the Celtics, and so that game sold out in a little bit under 45 minutes when we put tickets on sale. So the, the world of basketball uh, has been continues to be strong, and we continue to bring that live in arena experience to our fans around the world. And see, that's the thing. Because of all the traveling, this is a global thing. This isn't just here in the United States, and you've just given us a classic example of that. Absolutely. We Today we have 108 players that were born outside the United States. Uh, nearly 25% of our league um, was born outside the United States. And these players today are, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, the, the Greek freak. This, he was leading in our first round of all-star balloting, leading uh, vote-getter. He, he, he led LeBron James. He led everyone else in this league. And so these players are super talented. Players like Chris Stapps Porzingis, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. You know, these are international players who are having a tremendous impact on our league. Now Mark, off air, you complimented my co-host's voice. You haven't heard Greek freak name until he said it. Come on, Michael, you're really good. I give it to Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> Antetokounmpo. <laughs> See, if, if you need an all-star in arena announcer, I'm telling you, one day this is your guy right here. I love that guy. that guy. I mean, this, this he is one of the bright spots in the league, just a, a superstar, which this league has a lot of. Absolutely. He is he is among the most talented in a league that has an abundance of talent. And uh it's funny with it, with his name how many people have uh you know studied it and had to learn. I remember um I had to call his brother's name Thanasis Antetokounmpo uh in the uh, in the draft when the Knicks drafted him uh, a couple of years ago. So I I've I've been saying the Antetokounmpo name for many years now. Where has the year gone because we're coming up on the All-Star game? <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's been a great season so far and, and fantastic stories. Um obviously the, the, the Golden State Warriors are where they expected to be and, and uh and are playing really well right now. Um the Celtics too, boy, after the, the start um and the horrific uh Gordon Hayward incident, they, they have bounced back and have played uh incredibly well. Toronto's playing well. Um the Minnesota Timberwolves, I think a lot of people expected them to uh, you know, with the, with their uh, new addition of Jimmy Butler and uh, the emergence of Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, so they're a fun team to watch. So there's there have been some great stories um, uh, this season, but the season is flying by. We are chatting with Mark Tatum, the deputy commissioner of the NBA. Mark, let's play a little game. Let's just say I had a spare two billion dollars, which I do not, but let's just say I do. Make the argument for me that I should buy an NBA team over, let's just say, the Carolina Panthers since they're on the market? 
Well, I, I think um, a investment in the NBA right now, and, and I think many of the other owners um, would say the same thing, is a great investment because of the future of our sport and the future of our league. You know, basketball is, we said it earlier, truly global sport. It's played in over 215 countries and territories around the world. It's the number one sport in China. Um, 300 million people play basketball in China. Uh, and so when you're buying into this league, you're buying into um, a league that is uh, resonating on a global basis. We talked about the amount of international uh, players and, and stars that we have in this league, and that number is just going to continue to grow. As we think about investing in places like India, which will be the most populous country in the world in a couple of years, exceeding China, uh, you know, more than 1.3, close to 1.4 billion people. Um, we're opening up, we open up an academy there. We're doing basketball schools in India. We're um, contemplating playing our first preseason games in India. Um, we're, we're expanding junior NBA programs there to reach millions of kids in that country. Uh, and so, you know, one day basketball will become very relevant uh, in that country, and that's a whole new legion of fans who will then consume NBA content. When you look at a, a, a continent like Africa, um, where again we have uh, close to a uh, you know a dozen players from the continent in our league today, and a, a continent of 1.2 billion people, um, and basketball is is on the rise in several uh, countries, and in some countries it it is the number one sport uh, in that continent. Those are all opportunities for us to continue to grow our game on a global basis. You mentioned the Timberwolves. They have a Chinese investor. You have Joe Tsai taking a 49% stake in the Nets, probably going to take control in three more years. Is the same set of players, where players are coming from around the world, is the same set of owners? Like, Does Mukesh Ambani one day want to own a team, and that will help also sell the game around the world? Yeah, I think the diversity of our owners and the interest from the global community in in investing in the game of basketball is there. There, uh, as you mentioned, Joe, uh, Joe is a uh, is very um, bullish on the NBA, and that's why he's making the investment that he is. By the way, he's you know buying um, the the team from a Russian uh, owner. We have Vivek Ranadive, who was born in India, um, and and has still has ties back to uh, India, and he's been. Uh, very interested and helpful in how we think about entering into that market. And so, yes, like I said, when, when the game is played all over the world and it's relevant um, in countries all over the world, you have people from those markets who um, see the opportunity and who are bullish on uh, investing in and interested in um, buying NBA franchises. That brings me to what your boss said, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, and we're talking about the game going globally. And he mentioned about President Trump's comments that he supposedly said about Haiti and African nations calling the comments discouraging. I'm not going to get into exactly what he said. I think everybody knows. Can you expand more about what Mr. Silver said? Well, here's what um, what what I believe, and here's what the league believes. There's obviously, uh, you know, a, a racial unrest and inequality in this country, and what we believe is that we have a unique opportunity through sports 
to constructively engage and to bring this country together around the values that have been long held in this sport, equality, diversity, um, inclusion. Uh, you know, these are values that have been central to this league um, long before Adam became commissioner, long before I became deputy commissioner. These, these values have um, stood with this league since the beginning um, of, its, of, its, uh, of its founding. Um, and I think sports has that ability to do that. You know, this past week was obviously um, the MLK Day uh, celebration and, and remembrance and, um, and our players and our teams and the league, um, you know, paid homage to Dr. King and what he represented. Um, and we um, launched a program this year called, uh, or this week called NBA Voices. Uh, and NBA Voices um, is really a culmination of all the things that we're doing in the community, our players are doing in the community to bring people together. Um, through the game of basketball and through sports, which we know um, can be a powerful way to get people um, uh, to to have a common understanding and and to have a discussion uh, that can lead to more positivity. So so that's what I think the uniqueness is of sports. Um, you know, obviously there's there's an announcement I guess uh, earlier today about North Korea and South Korea uh, marching in the Olympics under a unified banner. And again, that 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 just showcases to me, again, the power of sports and how that can get people talking um, and can ease some of the tensions. And I think that's what the country could use a lot of right now. Mark, I was covering the league when Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf wouldn't stand for the anthem. I seem like we've done this before. Why is the NFL having protest-related problems and the NBA is not? Well, I, I can't speak to um, why the NFL is is having the issues that they have. What I will say is that on the NBA side, our players um, absolutely feel like they have a voice and that their voice can be heard. We're, we're very supportive of that. We encourage our players to um, be educated on issues that are important to them, that affect them and affect their communities, and um, and we support uh, their ability to speak out on those issues, and they have. They haven't been shy about that. Um, but then the other thing I would say that our players have felt they've been able to do is have an impact and, and actually take action on some of the things that are important to them. And that's why I said that this NBA Voices program is a program that um, that we've, uh, again, a culmination of programs that have been worked on by several players. And we've, uh, the NBA family, through whether it's the league or our teams, um, have supported more than 200 programs and events and initiatives in 26 different cities. Things like, you know, signing up new mentors for um, young boys and men of color in, in various communities, bringing together 10,000 youth and law enforcement officers in, in communities nationwide. Uh, again, many of these, including our players' um, involvement. And so our players feel like they are um, having the opportunity to, um, to, to make a difference and to not only speak out on these issues, but to actually take action um, to do something about the social injustices that they're um, seeing in, in their marketplace. And I think that uh, is what our players have been focused on. We are chatting with Mark Tatum, the Deputy Commissioner of the NBA. And Mark, you talk about players having voices. LeBron James himself is a media company at this point, <laughs> and the mediums sure have changed. Discuss, if you would, the possibilities moving forward 
and scalable media for the NBA. Like you said, this is a global game. You can reach the world. And when you get eyeballs, when you aggregate eyeballs, you can certainly monetize. How does the NBA plan to monetize all those eyeballs on all those platforms? Yeah, technology is a great enabler. You know, the vast majority of our fans will never see an NBA game live. And so um, what technology allows us to do is to get that content to them, however they're consuming it, on whatever platform they're consuming it. Um, We're actually announcing a new expanded partnership with Verizon, as an example, to provide fans with greater access to our games and content. Um, Tencent is our largest international digital partnership in China. Uh, They stream an entire season of live games and content to hundreds of millions of users on the Tencent platform each year. Um, In October, we announced a, a, a new partnership in Japan, uh, their first ever with a North American sports league with the company Rakuten. Um, you know, you, you may know them from the, being on the jersey of uh, FC Barcelona and also the jersey badge of the Golden State Warriors, but they um, are a distributor, or exclusive distributor of NBA content for live games in Japan. And then Econet Media is a multi-year partnership that we signed a couple of years ago, and they're providing fans all over sub-Saharan Africa with access to NBA programming, more than 900 million people on their mobile devices, on their laptops, on their iPads, and their, and their other uh, devices. So it, it's through those partnerships that we're able to reach. You know, last year, last season alone, we had uh, – over a billion viewers of NBA games. That's one out of every seven people in the world. And it's, it's by taking our content, getting it to consumers around the world, how they consume that, whether it's on their mobile devices or on their traditional forms of television and other ways of viewing their content. You mentioned about fantasy, which brings us to sports betting. And it looks like the Supreme Court is about to make a ruling on sports betting across the nation, not just in Las Vegas. Now, there's a difference, obviously, between sports betting and fantasy sports. Your thoughts about that, and will this hurt or help the sport? Our view has been um, fairly consistent here uh, over the last two years. Uh, We've been very clear that sports betting happens, um, and it largely happens underground today. And um, we are supportive of a federal national framework of legalized uh, sports betting because we think that, one, like I said, people are doing it. It's better to have it in the sunlight above ground so that, um, you know, there can be measures put in place um, to to track that and, and, and again, to provide opportunities for uh, people to do it in a legal way. We think, though, that one of the huge benefits of uh, this is to is fan engagement, um, and we know that uh, fans. Uh, you know, we look at it with fantasy, and we see the engagement that people have around fantasy. And when you're um, putting together your fantasy team, you have a vested interest in in watching more games and consuming more content. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the the really true benefits I think of uh, fantasy programs and other programs like that that drive engagement of the sport. Fans are uh, are, are engaging um, in that activity today, and but it's it's largely underground, which means it's hard to monitor, it's hard to track, and so um, 
having a federally regulated system with, uh, again, regulations, clear uh, guidelines, I think will, you know, really um, uh, provide better guardrails in, 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 in an industry that where it's already happening uh, today. It's a, it's a multi-billion, multi-hundred billion dollar uh, illegal industry. Um, and, uh, you know, again, we would embrace um, gambling when it becomes legal in the U.S. We are chatting with Mark Tatum, Deputy Commissioner of the NBA. Mark, what will the NBA be selling a year from now that is not currently offered? There's a, a couple of things. One is uh, we're going to have a new uh, 2K league, and you know that is our, uh, our our new professional competitive gaming league that's going to debut in May 2018, um, and it's going to bring together the best gamers in the world. We've got 17 NBA teams that are participating in our inaugural season, um, and uh, the, you know the the league's going to consist of regular season games, tournaments, and playoffs, um, and so we're in the process right now of uh, having uh, different uh, qualifiers to determine um, the players for uh, that will actually try out for teams in February. So we we just see a tremendous opportunity in the esports space to engage this uh, burgeoning community that really aligns with the NBA uh, game. So I think that's one of the you know the the new things that um, we've launched this year and that will that will launch this year. I think there's been uh, a ton of changes in our NBA uh, G League. Um, that's our official minor league. It's now in our 17th season, and um, we'll have new teams. Um, right now we have 26 teams. Next year we'll have a 27th uh, with Washington coming on board, and um, it'll just be a, a handful of years before we have a full 30-team G League. And then the last thing that we've been busy selling, uh, our clubs have, are jersey badges. Uh, and that's new. I mentioned Rakuten and the Golden State Warriors. We've had basically close to two-thirds of our teams now have sold um, these jersey badge deals uh, for the first time this season. Charlotte, the Charlotte Hornets were the last team to announce their deal with Lending Tree, but we've had incredible brands like Goodyear and GE and Fitbit and Disney um, all joining the NBA family for the first time, um, putting their, their, their badges on our jerseys. Have you solved the problem of reaching millennials? Everybody else seems to be pulling their hair out, but you mentioned the G League, they've got to deal with Snapchat. Have you cracked the code? Look, I think the millennials, we were certainly very relevant with millennials, and I think a big part of it is because our players are um, millennials, and our players are, you know, they're of that age, and they're authentic when it comes to um, the forms of engagement that millennials use, um, and that includes Snapchat, and includes Instagram, and includes the new platforms that you and I haven't even heard of yet, but our players are leading the way when it comes to those different technologies and and are uh, they're resonating with millennials. And so, uh, you know, technology really uh, continues to play a significant role in the growth of our game. Um, and we continue to innovate in that area, whether it's, uh, you know, creating an NBA augmented reality app. We're the first, uh, we, we created the first augmented reality game by U.S. Sports League. It, in essence, allows you to play a virtual Papa shot from any point in the world through augmented reality technology. I thought I Steph Curry does that on the court already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Many people think he does. Many people think he does. So, um, you know, having live NBA games in virtual reality, this is our second year providing fans with access to a series of 
live games in VR on, on League Pass. Um, team skills for Alexa. So we launched this year a program with Alexa, uh, making us the first professional sports league with every team on the platform. Um, and then Snapchat phone foam fingers, like we talked about, Snapchat being such an important platform. So we're, we continue to work with these tech companies who are engaging with millennials in authentic ways, and and that's really resonating with that audience. He is the number two executive at the National Basketball Association with all those sexy ratings during Christmas time. He is Mark Tatum. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Takeaways from the interview with Mark Tatum. I think I'm impressed about how the NBA has embraced fantasy sports and now looks like they are about to embrace legalized sports betting across the nation. Well, Adam Silver was the one who wrote the op-ed in the New York Times and had told us about a week before that that he thought some sort of regulatory framework on the federal level was the way to go. But for me, it's it's tech, tech, and tech. Yeah. When you hear why do people believe, or some people anyway, like Tillman Fertitta, that the NBA is the right place to plunk down your billions of dollars as investment— It's because of the scalable media. It's because the NBA is popular on Snapchat, on Twitter, on it's it's on all the platforms where those younger viewers, younger fans, the fans of tomorrow already are. They get it. The product is hip. The athletes are already there. They're talking to that community. It's it's just by far and away the leader in how to scale your media globally. That will yield revenue. And I keep saying it, and I'm going to say it again, the NBA is going to be the number one sport in America simply because of the duration of the game. It's compact, it's moving, and people can enjoy it. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business and Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. It is 1,000. Now, I'm going to give you a hint because it's not fair if I say 1,000. You give me hints every week and I never get it. No, you, you're going to get this one. You have to add two five hundreds together. Indian Daytona. Yeah, boom! Buddy, it's the boom. only. It's the only five hundreds I know. The two races. I mean, there's fortune, but <laughs> well, yeah. Well. <laughs> well, I mean, but look at Danica Patrick. She's going to close out her racing career doing the Danica Double. She's going to race in the Daytona five hundred and the Indy five hundred, sponsored by GoDaddy. That's the sponsor that she broke into the sport with at, at Indianapolis, then in NASCAR, and it looks like she's going to close out her career at Indianapolis. Now, she still has to find a ride first, but at least she has the financial backing. Yeah, and kudos to GoDaddy, because many of these sponsorships, I always wonder, like, why do it? Did it have any ROI? But I know GoDaddy because of Danica Patrick. I can recognize the logo. I know the green. There's an instant recall because of Danica Patrick. And you're more into racing than I am. I never understood. I kind of kind of make the, the connection between Danica and Anna Kornikova in tennis. People made fun of her for never winning. I mean, we know Danica won one race in Japan. But when was it a shame? When did it become a shame to reach the pinnacle of your profession, the professional level, and become the number three, four, five, six player, driver, whatever it is, in the world. I mean, she is competing 
at the highest level the sport has to offer. And still, for many, that wasn't enough. And there was another driver that was sponsored by GoDaddy. And I bet people can't remember who it is. And it was a prominent NASCAR driver. No Mark idea. Martin. No idea. Mark Martin. Mark Martin. Mark Martin. And, and he's won several races. But Mark Martin could walk down Broadway and nobody except the tourists from Charlotte would look up and say, hey, Mark Martin, Danica Patrick, I think, would be mobbed by people if she walked down Broadway. Oh, she would. She well, would. That's why it's effective. You have been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. 